the FT brand is kind of what makes it because people who come and do interviews know that we're not going to distort their words, know that we're not going to kind of stitch them up in some horrible way. It's much more about listening to them, treating them with respect, letting them get their, their point of view across. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under 30s for the under 30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. Today, our episode is uh, with uh, the FT Chief Features Writer, Henry Mans. How are you, Henry? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Henry is uh, covering for us uh, the editorial side of the Financial Times and the FT Group. And uh, he writes uh, for the FT Weekends uh, and the Henry Mans interview with leading figures, which appears uh, every other Monday. He was previously a political correspondent and the FT's uh, media correspondent. He is a past winner of uh, Interviewer of the Year at the Press Awards and the author of the book How to Love Animals and Protect Our Planet. We're going to recommend it on the show notes. So, Harry, how are you today? How has been uh, your day until now? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been great. Uh, I do a lot of interviews, so at the moment I'm preparing for an interview and uh, trying to get inside someone's head, so that's always fun. Harry, can you tell us a bit, what does it mean to be a chief features uh, writer for the Financial Times? Yeah, so my job, um, it's a bit unusual. Uh, you, it, at the FT, you have lots of people who specialize in certain areas. So they're, they're in charge of, you know, all of our coverage of cars or all of our coverage of, uh, you know, uh, high street banks or something like that. And my job is a bit different. It cuts across. It can be... Uh, I can write on on loads of different subjects, but um, I do them in depth. So I get a few weeks to work or often often longer, often months to work on a story to really tell um, something in detail. And um, and also with the big events. Right. So whether it's a big political event or the Queen's funeral or something like that, that's a kind of the kind of topic I would write about um, because it's, um, you know, it's a big set piece and, and maybe you want a bit more. Uh, color and uh, a, bit, a bit more sort of atmosphere and then uh, um, another part of my job is a lot of interviews so I write um, an interview that comes out every two weeks and I also do some other interviews and so that's that's looking for personalities it's looking for you know people with credibility to talk to our readers um, you know one interview I did recently was with the tennis player Boris Becker it was his first English language interview after coming out of prison you know a fascinating story of someone who was you know, at the age of 17, made into like a, a global superstar, right? The most famous person that Germany had produced in the, in the last 50 years, um, really. And then, you know, ha had much more difficult periods and ended up in jail and is now trying to rebuild his life. So, so you know, that's, that's fascinating to meet people like that. This is so interesting because I think um, you need to be a great listener uh, if you um, when you're doing an interview because of course I guess you prepare your interviews quite ahead of the meeting and ahead of time but I guess you tweak it depending on the answers that uh, the person in front of you is giving you or you don't. Yeah, What's I your mean, method? Uh, you certainly have a, have um, an idea of. of of what you want to ask the person, but also how they're going to respond to it. So you think if I ask them this, they'll say this. 
And quite often they say something completely different. Like, and however much you prepare, I mean, that's the that's the fun of meeting someone, right? That's, um, you know, that's what an AI chatbot can't produce is is like the actual thought process. And you're catching them at a certain time on a certain day in a certain mood. You know, how are they going to respond to that? What's going to, you know, are they, um, are they going to have changed their mind on something they said before? Are they going to go against something? Are they going to be outspoken? And then, yeah, you hope that in the interview things occur to you that um, that you hadn't thought of as relevant, that, you know, questions come up or like, um, you know, I remember interviewing an actor once and I said, well, he said, well, I live in this this place. And I said, no, you don't live in, in this place with your wife. And he said, oh, well, we split up. And so it's like stuff that you just hadn't quite uh, expected. And, you know, he hadn't t- uh, told that to anyone. Um, and so you've got to be alert and you've got to listen, as you say. And how 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 did you land into this job? That I think it's you know so interesting. You can uh, really meet very interesting people, and I think the FT brand uh, and your own brand is really allowing you to um, interview and chat, and uh, I think understand from a bit of a different perspective. A very special guest, as you say, the FT brand is kind of what makes it because. People who come and do interviews know that we're not going to distort their words, know that we're not going to kind of stitch them up in some horrible way. It's much more about listening to them, treating them with respect, letting them get their their point of view across. I mean, you know, every journalist does, well, nearly every journalist does interviews. And so it's, um, you know, I started when I started out as a journalist, it was just, you know, it was like part of your, you know, you you did many things. Uh, You go out on the street and try and interview like, ordinary voters or then you also have more famous people i was based in colombia in south america and you know i got commissioned to go and interview a footballer right a retired footballer um at his house in the countryside um he kept racehorses and you know i loved that experience because it was just so um it's so unusual and it's it's sort of um it's a privilege to to speak to people who have achieved lots who have got amazing talent and so it just just that part of the job of of doing those big feature interviews, I just really enjoyed and I put a lot of effort into it. And, um, you know, people are different. People have different talents, right? And there are, there are parts of journalism, which, um, you feel yourself being drawn to because, because it sort of works well, because you're, you know, you feel like you're producing great stuff. It's particularly powerful when you're young, I think. And you're like, you're meeting people who, they might not be your idols, but you're like, you, you thought of them as like, as on a pedestal, right? As people you would never come across. And now you're you're there sort of shaking their hand, like we do lunchtime interviews, so like often having a meal with them, uh, you know, having a beer, having a glass of wine. It's like, how did I end up in this situation? There is something crazy about it. I mean, I, I guess I get that a little bit um, less now, but I mean, I have, you know, I interviewed Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, like that's kind of bizarre, right? This guy, you know, he, like he took me to the gym, then we went... Um, Went for breakfast. It's crazy, right? So yeah, it's it's a real privilege. You have definitely a very interesting life. One, um, as said before, you started as a political uh, correspondent, and um, what skill set did you transfer in uh, this role that you have now from uh, the, this first part of your career? Yeah, so um, I started covering British politics um, just before the Brexit vote. So I sort of turned up and like British politics was was sort of like, obviously I had strange things about it and then it completely exploded. In some ways, like being a political journalist is is so different. It's like its own ecosystem. There is, uh, it has its own rules. Um, it's, it's a very particular type of journalism because 
everybody's interested in politics, especially at that time, right? Brexit, you know, it was something that people really wanted to speak to um, you about in the pub. Which I think is a bit different now. Like your friends aren't all thinking about politics all the time, but like at that period, everybody cared about it. Everyone was so riled up um, by it. I mean, I think like the the essential things of of political journalism are um, are the same as all journalism, right? You, you're meeting people, you're trying to get them to trust you, you're tr- and you you get them to trust you by being fair and being reasonable and you know doing what you say you would do. You're listening to them. You're listening to things that are unusual, things that are different to what they said before, and then you're trying to explain that to a, an audience. And then, like, obviously, with politics, it's a really broad audience you're speaking to, and you're often trying to explain British politics to people in America, people you know in India and Australia who think this is all a bit crazy. Political coverage is really cutthroat. There are a lot of people trying to get the same stories, so it does encourage you to be competitive, or to be very fast, because news travels very fast. If you get a bit of news, it might not last till the next day. Everyone else might have it in five minutes' time. And the use of Twitter to build an audience, political journalism is all very good at encouraging those things. What has been the most difficult interview you needed to prepare for? Right, okay, so the most difficult interview I did was with a boxer called Tyson Fury, who is currently heavyweight champion of the world. And, um, like, Tyson Fury is kind of a funny guy. When he started out in boxing, people didn't entirely take him seriously. He looked very um, unglamorous. And people were like, oh, he's not that good. And he's beaten everybody. And the reason for that is that he is... One of the reasons for that, I mean, he's very big and very strong and fast so yeah and like can take a punch but he's also incredibly unpredictable and I really um I had all my questions lined up I knew exactly how I was going to take the interview I felt very confident I'd done lots of preparation and the guy just stunned me right he just said I'm not answering questions about this I'm not answering questions about that I'd never said that and I was like well you did say that I've got I've researched it I found example and and um And he he just threw me um, off balance completely, and I um, so that was the most difficult thing I've done. And then it's kind of very it was very hard to to sit down and write and explain why I'd got into that position um, because I'd done so many interviews before and just not been that surprised by people. Uh, you know, I thought I I thought I could just manage this, but this guy was different. What did you do in that circumstances? Like, did you try to find new questions or like how did you approach? I didn't have that much time. You have to think on your feet. It was being videoed, so I couldn't um, I couldn't change stuff around so so much. And you know, in some ways, like that's one of the interviews I think back and I think most oh, I would have done something slightly different. Stories are always always different to what you think, and you like like when you're researching like not an interview but a feature. I remember when I was in Westminster, there was one story where there was a guy after Donald Trump was won the election, who was positioning himself as a Trump supporter, positioning himself to be the um, Trump's ambassador to to the EU. Like, there weren't that many Trump supporters in the British media. So he was getting doing lots of interviews. He was being seen as the voice of Trump. And he had this amazing CV. And I remember starting to look into his CV and just saying, I wonder whether all this is real. And we started poking around the CV. And, like, lots of it was just not real right, was just not correct. Like he was exaggerating stuff. He was making stuff up. And that kind of took me to places if, he, you know, you're trying to fact check stuff. And it was really difficult to actually nail down like stuff from 20, 30 years ago, whether it was true or not. 
and then to put those things to him and he would come up with new explanations and then we'd go back and check. And, you know, that was tricky. And it was also tricky because you knew that there were very high stakes. You were really making very significant claims about his reputation and he was a very high profile figure. So if you were wrong, there was a real cost to it. You know, it was really getting close to the lawyers and saying, can we say this? Trying to check out, trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, being really respectful for what he said. But in the end, we were able to publish several articles saying this is what his CV says and this is what the truth says. If there is one thing I get from you is like that um, you make uh, a person in front of you may feel very comfortable. Um, what do you do when you find someone that is a very unpleasant uh, really he, she didn't really want to be there? What do you do? So most of the job you're like you, you kind of think you're dreaming. Right? You can ask questions of people that you wouldn't ask of your own friends. Right? What you're trying to do when you interview someone is get all the facts straight. So you're kind of being a bit of an interrogator. Um, and most of the time, that you know, people are really happy. People are happy to be taken seriously. Um, in some occasions, they're not, right? Or they, they react very badly to questions. And, um, like, it's still fascinating, right? Because you are interviewing this person because they're interesting. So they're still interesting, right? What they've written or what they've, you know, what they've done in their life is fascinating. And so you, it's still a privilege to be there. You know, it's work. So you're not trying to decide whether you like the person or not. But you are trying to reflect later to the audience what they were like. So you kind of, you're just trying to remember it. You don't get angry. You don't get frustrated. You don't, right? You're just trying to remember that if someone wants to know what it's like to meet someone, this is it. And like the example I would give there is Jordan Peterson, who's, um, as people might know, he's a huge star on YouTube, like as a guru, as a, um, as a uh, philosopher. He's a Canadian psychologist. I felt he was a very unhappy person, right? Which was strange because, you know, with a philosopher, someone who's setting out a rules for life, you kind of expect that they'll be more they'll be more at ease with themselves. But he was he seemed really unhappy. And I tried to convey that in the article. At the time it, I was a little bit worried that he was cutting short and I hadn't answered all my questions. But I just you know, most of most of my feeling was this is just a I I must tell the readers that this is what it was like to meet Jordan Peterson, this guy who seems so confident on YouTube. He just seems unhappy. Harry, how do you select the people that you're going to interview? Do you have a team? Is it something that you discuss with the newsroom? How does it work? Uh, this is something that's on my mind all the time, right? Who would be a good person to interview? It's always a lot of things. It's, it's like we bounce ideas around. Uh, sometimes it's not the right moment to speak to someone. Sometimes it's, it's always good when people have got something new to talk about. So people who have just written a book or just, you know, um, just been working on something. Um, it's more difficult if people are in the middle of something because they're not quite ready to talk about something. If you were to go up to an actor in the middle of filming a film, they would be like, oh, I can't talk about this. Or a writer in the middle, they don't, they don't know what they think about it yet. So they need to have had some time to process it. Uh, we're looking for people like that our readers know that in general. The type of people I interview, you should know their names. Um, although not always, sometimes you're trying to introduce someone. But I think what I enjoy most is taking someone who people think they know because they've heard about them for 20 years and then saying, okay, let's see who they really are at this point in their life. You want to get a range of voices, you know, and you're trying to broaden out. Um, so, so, yeah, ideas are always welcome. People can always email me with ideas for interviewees. 
Um, can you share any tips for younger people that would love to be a better interviewer? Maybe they are writing for their school newspaper or a university um, reporting as well. And they are, you know, starting the first steps in, uh, in the journalism world. What would be your best tips for them? The key thing is to listen. If you're listening to what someone says, then A, they'll feel more comfortable with you because they know that everything they're saying is being processed. Um, also, you'll think about, you'll, you'll hear just little things and you'll hear little, little points that you can pick up on and ask questions and dig into. And that will make the, the interview more interesting and you may, get, you may get to a new space, right? If you just notice what they're saying. Because the worst thing is to listen back on the recording and say, what? They said that and I didn't hear it because I was too busy scribbling notes or I was too busy thinking, I'll just listen to it later. Yeah, I would put some of yourself into it, right? So, so don't, um, you know, it's a connection between you and them. So if there's, if there's an area that you know particularly well, maybe you can, you can find some common ground on that. Um, but, but yeah, research the person, know what they've said before, know what they haven't said. And then um, when you listen to them, you'll be able to see if something's changed. This is very interesting. And I have another question for you. Physical toolkit, what do you bring to your interviews? Yeah, I mean, um, a recorder or a phone or a, and a backup. If you want to, I saw someone tell a story that when they interviewed Bruce Springsteen, they took three recorders just in case, like they really didn't want to miss Bruce Springsteen. Um, but yeah, you want a recorder or two, you want a pen, uh, you want your questions and a notepad. I think what you don't want to have is too much technology. Um, because the person will think you're getting distracted. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a, an iPad or um, uh, if you're interviewing someone famous, a, a laptop up and um, make sure your phone's on silent. And I wouldn't, um, you know, you're trying to put them at ease. So you're trying to be a human being. Uh, they know you have a jacket. They know you have a bag, all that stuff. But you don't want to bring, you know, too much uh, stuff that, that sort of that gets them anxious about why you've got why you've got so much stuff for, um, around. Um, you wrote an article about uh, toxic masculinity. And uh, I wanted to ask if you uh, think that younger generations are a bit better in advocating uh, um, for a change in this perspective and uh, why uh, you wanted to go into this uh, um, quite challenging topic at the moment. Yeah, for me, it was something really fascinating because I wanted to compare the kind of messages that I grew up with as a boy to what boys are growing up with now. And like, there's obviously a bit of panic around Andrew Tate and around the messages that he's been spreading and how popular he, he's been. Um, but I wanted to come at, come at it from a slightly less judgmental view of like, in the 90s, we were exposed to like magazines which really objectified women, which um, had a certain view of what it was to be a man. Um, and so I just wanted to compare what had changed, what, whether we'd made any progress um, or not. And, you know, I think in some ways there has been like really interesting progress and that, that Andrew Tate and some of the sort of um, uh, more toxic messages out there are kind of a reaction, like a last gasp, right? So there, there, is, there is some progress, but um, I also, th I, I think what... Um, What is quite worrying about, you know, YouTube for me is, well, two things. Firstly, that it's so male, 
right? You have so many uh, influencers who are male. And like, why aren't there more women there? Why aren't they, you know, friends with women in the videos? Why aren't they like showing like how men and women can be friends on camera? That feels to me very weird. And the other is just is how immersive it is. So I was speaking to kids who are spending two, three, four, five hours a day, even though they're at school, on social platforms. And they really aren't being exposed to like other content, either like um, that's n that is made by, you know, the TV stuff or, you know, books, newspapers in the same way. And that, that could balance against the views of their favorite influencers. So that I think is is a problem. And it, because the algorithms in, encourage a, an extremity, then, yeah, I think that undermines the progress that has been made. Ari, thank you so much. And a bit of a different part of this uh, uh, podcast show is bringing some of our uh, bright young talents into the podcast studio uh, with us. And uh, we'll, they will ask you directly some questions. So I'd like to welcome them. We got here two fantastic people. So Noel and Oscar. Um, Noel, how are you today and where you are coming from? Hello, my name is Noel Abdisamad. Thank you again for inviting me today. I do really appreciate it. So I am an aspiring journalist, currently a copy taster at The Sun, working with backbench editors, uh, also a digital content producer at TRT, as well as a podcast uh, coordinator and a plethora of other things. So my question to you, Henry, today is, how do you approach interviews with leading figures for the Henry Mance interview? Because uh, you said earlier you're currently interviewing and looking for personality. So how do you approach that and, and, and know what makes a great interview compared to a not so... Yeah, I, I, um, I think firstly, it really helps to have a story around them. Okay, so who like, uh, who are they? And, and why are they interesting right now? And I think you're trying, you're often trying to do a bit of a salesman job on them or a salesperson job on them by saying, um, uh, look, to, to your audience, you pay attention to this person. And this is why and you're trying to weave them into everything else that's going on in the world. You're trying to say this is why they're relevant. And then once you've done that, that kind of really helps you because then you're like, okay, so I don't need to ask them about their whole life, but I really need to ask them about this part. And then you research that part really well and you you find out what they've said before so that you don't spend the interview repeating what they've already said. If they feel that the interview is just like the one they gave last week, then they're going to sort of, they're going to go into like second gear. They're going to sort of start coming out with the same anecdotes, the same stories, not say anything new. And um, that will waste everybody's time. But if you if you're like, ah, I know that, you know, I know that you've said that, so I'm not going to ask you that or but I am going to ask you to take it further, then it can um, uh, then it can go forward. And I think like to some extent, I think of interviews now is, is like something you're co-creating with the person. Right. So you're trying to allow them to articulate things that they they maybe have inside, but they haven't quite um, pulled together. So you can like you can it's not just a case of extracting stuff from them. You're not just like a sort of mining them for information. You're trying to help them process their own thoughts. And that's where I think, especially with famous people who have the options of doing lots of interviews, but that's where you can make the difference for them. Because you'd be like, right, this isn't just um, you coming here and sort of dumping a load of stuff or me taking it. It's like us together having a conversation, which is useful. True, yeah, because you don't want it to be a script, do you? You don't want them to just to go into that second gear where they're just, you know, something that they rehearsed before. So you do want, like, yeah, that you want them to bounce off, 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 um, off you and. Yeah, really interesting that you say that because I, I don't know whether you've had this experience, but sometimes they start telling a story and you know the story you've heard, you've read about it in there, but 
And you're like, no, 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 don't start this. Like, we only have this amount of time. Don't spend five minutes of it telling a story. And But the only thing you can really do is in that moment to wait for the script to end and then to work, but be thinking of a, a way that you can get get off strict yeah yeah, a different angle and a different like perspective and a twist to it instead of like you said the the mundane sort of repetitive angles that that they've been interviewed but thank you very much for answering that yeah no, that's a great um it's a great uh, question thank you very much oscar i know you're an lsc student what uh, what are you studying there yeah, so I'm in my second year at the moment, LSE studying law and anthropology. Firstly, I'd just like to say thank you for inviting me along to this uh, podcast. Um, yeah, so I'm in second year. I'm just in that stage in my, in my life where I'm trying to just navigate myself in terms of what career path I want to pursue, especially in London um, when there's so many opportunities. So my question is regarding journalism, and it's just based off my observations and personal experiences at uni. Um, so journalism seems to be very attractive as a career because it appears that it will provide you with the opportunity to learn about a variety of topics, politics, uh, religion, sports, culture, um, and especially from my experience at university where you're overwhelmed with most, multiple different career, career pathways and they all appear very tempting and enjoyable. Um, and you also don't want to feel as if you're missing out and there's a lot of pressure primarily stemming from yourself, also your family maybe, to choose the, right, to choose the occupation that is uh, right for you. Um, so my question would be, to what degree did you decide to pursue a career in journalism? Because it gives you the opportunity to learn about a variety of different topics and occupations rather than specialising in one in particular. OK, I've got to tell you a secret here, which is that I decided not to be a journalist. Right. And um, and I was like, no, nah, I don't think it. You know, I, I think that there's other ways I, 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 I want to work. I wanted to I wanted I wanted to find a way of really um helping to address some social problems that i saw that i'd come across in my studies um so i was like i'd enjoyed doing some student journalism but i'm not going to do that and then um to cut a long story short i found myself even when i was working on like in um i was working uh, on a project with homeless people that the bit i really enjoyed doing was writing writing um and we produced a magazine which homeless people sold and i just really found myself drawn to the to the writing part so, um, you know what, I think it was like a passion inside me that I couldn't really uh, suppress and contain. And that, that was really helpful to me because I felt that even though I tried to go in a different direction, I, came, I, I got drawn back to this. And I think if you love, like, whether it's writing or producing podcasts or videos and you love that content and you love producing it, then you will get drawn, drawn back to it and you'll sort of know that. And likewise, if, you, you know, if you're studying law and you just find yourself like obsessed by the cases and being like, I want to argue this, then then maybe you'll, you'll just know that it's, you know, law is for you and that you want to go into um, to practice. Um, I would I would say the breadth now is something I, I so appreciate, right? Because the variety is incredible. And uh, although you have a lot of journalists who specialize in, in particular areas, you you the skills you develop do allow you that freedom. Even if you've been writing about you know, religion or your or your career, you'll still have the the skills to go out there and write an amazing piece about the Olympics or an amazing piece about you know world chess championships or whatever it might be because you're a journalist and like you get on with people, you know how to write, you know how to research. So the skills are and the skills actually work, you know, that in other professions as well. So I, I would say that for me it was like the passion for writing that got me. Um, but it's also it's also being curious about the world, being curious about other people. And I think that's what you were driving at. And so, yeah, I relate to that a lot. 
yeah so it's about finding your passion and something that you want to really pursue um but then especially at the LSE where the majority of people I encounter very highly intelligent very hard-working and they get multiple opportunities in corporate work in law consultancy investment banking and it is very tempting to sort of let that side overtake you even though you're not particularly interested in it because um it will provide you with financial stability when you're older and it will open up a wealth of opportunities that your passion may not particularly want to um, offer um, so yeah just trying to balance that yeah that's definitely I mean like uh, definitely do consider that stuff I mean if you can get a taster of some of those other professions in the internships they offer then at least you you sort of again you can see whether you can you can get excited by that I would I would definitely not recommend people going into a a career they're not excited by even if the financial security is great because i think you will get to a point in your life where you'll want your work to be about more than money that might be when you're 23 it might be when you're 33 it might be when you're 43 but um you do want to you do want to feel a passion for the work if at all possible um and for, for not for some people that will be banking right for some people that will be law um but but not for everybody thank you Thank you so much, Henry, Thanks for being lot, with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this chat. I definitely did. And I learned a lot about the behind the scenes of uh, um, your job. So thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoyed this. Keep following the Talent Show and FT Talent on all the different platforms. Submit your questions if you want to come along to the show to ask directly to our experts your questions. You just need to write to fttalent at ft.com. Thank you so much. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Interested in going to business school? I have a suggestion for you today. You can get the best advice from admission centers and officers and successful alumni with a new newsletter from the Financial Times. MBA 101, a new weekly email series. You can learn everything you need to know about applying for the best MBA programs out there in just six weeks. Sign up MBA 101 on the Financial Times website.